Holy is the Lord. Jesus, you are holy. You are worthy. Thank you, Jesus. We are your people. We are the house of the Lord. Thanking you for what you've done for us. Making us your own. And who you are to us. Our complete satisfaction, joy, and happiness. It's all found in you, Jesus. And this is why we want to share it. The sharing completes the joy. We've been redeemed. We've been called out of the grave. And now we say to others, get up. Get up out of your grave. Repent and believe the gospel. It's the power unto salvation. Jesus, we are your people. A people of your own possession. Work in us your mighty power and help us to understand this power and understand the love of God, how wide it is, how deep, how long, how high. The love and power that surpasses knowledge displayed in us to the unseen rulers and forces in the heavenly realms who have a grip on those around us, those whom we long to sing with in heaven one day. May your power be at work in us, displayed for all to see. Continue your work now through your Holy Spirit as we hear your word, as Pastor Rick preaches. Give us ears to hear. And give us hands to do what your word says. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all God's people said, amen and amen. You can be seated as we continue in worship. Lately, it seems that we are getting more and more confused about what a church actually is. So let's take some time to set the record straight. Church is not a building, though a building can be used by a church. Church is not a denomination, though a set of beliefs should be important to a church. Church is not about Sunday, though a church should not forsake meeting together. Church is not about one person or personality, though every church should be pastored. And church is not about size or growth, though every church is called to make disciples. So don't think of church as an address or a location, but rather think of church as mobile and on the move. Don't think of church as something built or planted, but rather think of church as something deployed. Don't think of church as where you are for an hour each week, but rather what you are every day of the week, because the church is the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. Feet shouldn't sit still. Hands shouldn't be idle. Feet go hands do. This is the church. Church isn't what you're sitting through right now because you are the church. Now go and be the church. I welcome you this brisk, cold morning. So grateful that you're here and, and grateful that you made the trip. I trust that God is going to do something in your hearts today. So let's pray before we jump in. Father, I thank you that you are an almighty God. 
I thank you that we can trust you. I thank you that you are sovereign. I, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your patience and your kindness and your grace. I thank you for your mercy. God, we come to you as a group of people that desperately need your touch. Thank you for blessings that you give us. Thank you for the challenges that you give us. Thank you that we can come together in your house and we can praise and we can learn and we can give and we can serve. Father, there are churches all over this area and all over the world that are meeting together who are lifting up your name or teaching your word, who are gathering in groups for prayer. Lord, your church is spread out all over. We pray in particular, Father, for some of the churches right in this area, and we, we pray, Father, for Grace Point, and we pray for North Point, and we pray, dear God, that, that you would be with fierce, and we know, God, that there are a plethora of other churches right in this area. And we ask you to encourage the leadership and the, and the flocks as we listen to you and respond to your word. We pray, Father, for all of those who are teaching downstairs and for our children as they're hearing good news and stories and that they will be able to understand better who you are. God, we ask that uh, this day you'd bring yourself honor and glory that as your messenger, I wouldn't get in your way of the message. We thank you again for all that you've done and expect you to change our hearts today. We pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. Amen. God is all wise. He's all-powerful, and he is good. Most of us believe that. We do. But practically speaking, there are times we struggle with God's authority in our world and in our lives. And God, in his plan and in his wisdom has laid out a plan. God loves the church. He loves our church. In fact, we love our church. We are a church of flawed people struggling well with life together. So when his plan became clear at Pentecost, we scratch our heads. Now, don't get me wrong. It just feels odd that the disciples, with their reputation of unfaithfulness, be given the task of planting churches and giving out the gospel. Not only do I struggle with that, I struggle with me and us. I look around, God, this... Really is your plan? You want us to be your representatives? And you're going to grow the kingdom this way? Just try to imagine what was going through the disciples' minds as the Spirit indwelled them and the church was born. They had spent three years with Jesus and now it was time to leave the nest. Uh, You can kind of feel this during the Last Supper, and, and there was a little bit of pushback, but there had to be some questions. Well, why now, Jesus? Jesus, we need you. Jesus, it's not the right time for you to leave. But Jesus knew it was the right time. And it was time for them to go out. Christ's timing was perfect. It was time to send them out because they were ready. Remember, just a little bit after this time and the Last Supper, Jesus met with all of his disciples and basically said, I've given 
I've been given all authority. Therefore, go and make disciples. This is going to be your task. They had already been given the John 15 speech. You you remember that speech as the disciples were gathering around and, and Jesus said, hey, my father's the gardener and I am the vine and you are the branches. And if you want to bear much fruit, you need to stay connected to the vine. You have to stay connected to the vine. And if you do, you will bear fruit. They're all already told to wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit. Well, they had seen the Holy Spirit work in Jesus perfectly, but they waited, and they waited. And eventually, the Spirit came. And the promise was in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, or you will represent me to people everywhere that you go. Well, actually, the disciples did just that, and the rest is history. The church was born, and it should probably encourage each one of us The gospel was preached, and churches were planted. Lives were transformed, and hope was abundant. Now, it's been over 2,000 years, and much has changed. Or has it? The gospel is still changing lives, and churches are still being planted. But in our culture, the church has been stained. It has a rather poor reputation. And I think there are many reasons for that. One, of course, would be leadership. Ungodly shepherds and scandals. Others would be relationships, where disobedient or selfish sheep just behave poorly out in the marketplace. I think the church has a poor reputation because people don't understand the gospel. There's misunderstandings. The gospel is offensive, but now much more than ever, it's misunderstood. You know, most churches go through rough patches, even as ours just did. We are sad about the disharmony and the accusations, but our leadership fears God more than man and is committed to listening well to God and responding to his spirit. Our elders take the health of this church seriously and are accountable to God for it. People who walk with God realize that the local church is his church, not their church. That God is in charge and that he brings people into the church and moves people out according to his plan. We just need to listen. God graces each believer with gifts or at least one gift. And believers are to use their God-given gifts to equip and build up the church. God's timing is perfect. And he appoints staff and pastors and leaders and volunteers to plant or serve in local churches. We will never regret trusting and obeying God. So we all have met people who are drawn to Jesus but have been hurt or disappointed with people in the church. In light of this, people try other churches. They try to find a perfect church. I see this often like they are bees gathering nectar from various churches weekly, focusing on their needs rather than others. We often focus on people or amenities rather than listening to God. You see, focusing on feelings can breed a lack of commitment to a local church. 
Good people are asking the wrong questions. They hop around and often look at churches the way one looks at dating. (laughs) When you begin to date or when you're starting to date or if you remember back when you were dating, you kind of ask these questions. Hmm, what am I attracted to? What allures me? Is the person fun or rich or popular? And you start making choices on the exterior. In churches, you might ask something like this. What can this church or fellowship or organization offer me? Instead of how can I use my gifts to glorify God or unify the body or make it stronger? Just as I see an aversion to the commitment of marriage in our culture, there also seems to be a reluctance to a commitment to a local church. The unattached, like freedom and the lack of accountability. Sadly, our culture has made the church, the local church especially, about us rather than the kingdom. Yet let me remind you, there is hope. The the local church has been the central part in many of our lives and will continue to be so because it is God's plan. God sees the church differently. It's lovely. It's beautiful. It's the bride of Christ. The church is not a building. It's a gathering of the redeemed, the forgiven, the family of God, the body of Christ. God the Father is making her beautiful as we walk with him. Jesus, God's son, is the bridegroom who is reconciling the world to himself. Christ is the head of the church and loves his body dearly, including us. The Holy Spirit brings beauty out of chaos and convicts each one of us of our sin. The Spirit is our helper and our intercessor, our assistant, our advocate, our comforter, our counselor, our equipper, our sustainer. He changes us from the inside out, making us lovely, actually making us more like Jesus He has graced us so that we can serve and build one another up. So as all of us, we walk with God, we mirror God to others, we bear fruit and represent him well, which makes our church beautiful, even alluring. The church is about people being rescued and redeemed and renewed. The church is about family, rejoicing in service. The church is about proclaiming, enduring, and walking. The church is about being the bride adorned beautifully and lovely. Which brings us to the crux of the message. Our mission here at Cross Point Church is to teach people to know, obey, and enjoy Jesus Christ in order that we would share Jesus with others. As Brendan already mentioned, how do we do that? What is one practical way to be able to accomplish the mission that God has given to each one of us? Well, we would simply put it this way. Grow in your up, in, and out relationships, which will surprise our world and grow as church. Growing in these relationships will draw people to Christ and build his church naturally and normally. I love talking about up, in, and out because even the youngest disciples, those, again, that just come to faith very early in their lives, can understand this. Hey, there's three relationships we need to work on. Three relationships that we can grow in. Our up relationship is with God. 
are in relationship or with those within these walls, within, well, the body of Christ. And the out relationships are those who are neighbors, those who are lost, or those who are unredeemed. So healthy Christians grow in all three of these relationships. In fact, as we look at the Gospels, especially at Jesus, that Jesus did well in all three of these relationships, modeling for us how to live abundantly in a broken world. You see, our up relationship is critical, mostly because everything flows from it. And if we look at Jesus, Jesus really did his up relationship well. Now, some of you are thinking, going, well, (laughs) Rick, come on. That's God's son. Of course he has a relationship. But I want to keep going back to, yes, Jesus was 100% God, but he also was 100% man. He had the same struggles. He had the same joys that we experience. And it was so important for him to stay connected with his father. The Gospels are filled with examples. In Mark chapter 1, verse 35, the Scriptures tell us that before daybreak, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. In Luke chapter 5, verse 16, Jesus often withdrew himself to the wilderness for prayer. His connection with God was critical. He was intentional about it. Christ's up relationship was amazing, which meant a perfect balance in his life. He was content doing life at God's pace and in God's direction. In fact, I'd like to say he was yoked with his father, which was the exact invitation that he gave all of us, his disciples. In Matthew 11, verse 28, Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. And I, Jesus said, will give you rest. Then take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, Jesus said. I'm humble. I'm gentle. I love being reminded of the yoke, which to so many people is so restrictive. But to Jesus, in his invitation and his understanding with God, it's, no, I want to be yoked with you, God. I want you to take the lead. I want you to tell me when I'm to turn. I want you to tell me when I'm to stop. I want to know what direction. I need help in carrying the wagon and the burdens. Jesus knew how to do this perfectly. And he offered that same thing to each one of us. Come to me. I know you're tired. Let's stay yoked up. So instead of restrictive, it's empowering. So our relationship with God, as so many of you know, begins when we believe, begins when we trust Christ as Savior, begins when we recognize that we are separated from God because of our sin and that God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross in order to pay the debt of our sin and satisfy God's wrath so that each one of us who trust Christ as Savior who recognize that he paid our debt, we can become part of God's family. Once that happens, the relationship starts. And once that happens, it will be critical that that relationship grows, the up relationship. In fact, I'd like to say it this way. A relationship with God is like breathing, inhaling and exhaling. Inhaling is reading, 
and listening to God, reading his word, spending time with God. And exhaling is talking to God or praying. Both are critical. We do it automatically. But anytime either one of those is restricted, it's panicville. It's spending time with God in his word. It's learning. And what I try to encourage people, it's listening. So many believers will pick up this precious book, and so many people will read this, but we forget to be quiet afterwards. Or in the midst of it, just slow down. To be able to hear God's voice, to be able to respond to him. It's encouraging in 1 Peter chapter 2. Peter writes this, crave spiritual milk. Crave the precious scriptures. You want to hear from God. You want to understand what he wants to tell each one of us. In Psalm 119, a psalm that you can read through, it's really a long psalm, but it's a psalm that says over and over again how precious God's word is. And there are times in my life where I need that reminder, and I will pick up and read Psalm 119. But Psalm 119, verse 111 says, Your laws are my treasure. They are my heart's delight. That verse is both convicting and encouraging. If for some reason when I pick up this book, and it's not my treasure or my delight, I need to talk to God. Something's off. Maybe there's some sin in my life. Maybe I'm not responding well because that's what this is. In Joshua 1.8, God tells Joshua, study this book of instruction continually, all the time. Meditate on it day and night so that you will be able to obey or literally prosper. God says to Joshua, hey, you've got a pretty big task ahead of you. (laughs) You're taking over from Moses. And the only way you're going to survive, the only way that you're going to thrive is by spending time with me. Meditating. In other words, for that would be memorizing, thinking over and over about your word. Because as you listen, as you hear and you obey, you are successful. So it's spending time in the Word and spending time just talking to God. Sometimes, again, talking to God is rather awkward. It's one of the areas in all of my Christian life that. Well, I work on differently. I learn how to pray from other people. I learn how to pray from reading in the scriptures. I learn how to pray mostly by just praying. It's talking to God. In 1 Thessalonians 5.17, Paul writes this, never stop praying. Never stop talking to me. In Philippians 4, what great advice by Paul, who was in prison at the time. And he said, don't worry about anything. Don't worry about a thing. Instead, pray about everything. So I feel, again, that our up relationship must be intentional. And we must stay connected. Because everything flows from our up relationship. As we look at our in relationship, our in relationships are also important. It's connecting well with those inside our walls or connecting with other believers. Jesus again showed us how to do this well. If you remember in the very beginning of his ministry years, when Jesus was about 30, he began to be intentional, and gather other disciples. He had this rabbi-student relationship with them, a little bit different than probably some of us would 
well, try to attempt, but he did life with these guys that he called to himself for about three years. If you remember in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus was gathering his disciples, and he basically invited them into a relationship. He said, come, follow me, spend some time with me, and I will teach you not to fish for fish, but to fish for men, for people. Jesus was intentional. He was intentional with his up relationship. He was intentional with his in relationship. You see, since Jesus was intentional in developing relationships, we also need to make this a priority. I don't think we will ever drift into quality relationships with others. Now, now you might have acquaintances. You will. But for you to be able to have a deep relationship with anyone, you're going to have to be intentional. We know this was a priority for the early church. It's exciting to be able to read through the book of Acts. In the very beginning of Acts, once the Spirit came and descended upon those believers, uh, the scriptures tell us that initially 3,000 people responded to the gospel. Right after that happened in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, this is what Dr. Luke writes, who gave us this account. He says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the sharing of meals, which included the Lord's Supper and to prayer. All the believers devoted were intentional. In the very beginning stages, as church was being developed, as it was growing, as it was being planted. The believers were intentional about hearing God's word. They were intentional about fellowship and being with others, enjoying meals together, and to praying together. Now, realistically, our Sunday celebration service is a great place to start. We know that. But one intentional way to go deeper and to be more a part of the fellowship here is to join or lead a group. We have all different opportunities here, different types of groups. But we know again that most people who just come out to a church or attend a church a Sunday gathering or a Saturday night gathering, realistically, well, don't feel apart. We want to encourage you to be apart. Another way to grow is by serving. Oftentimes you'll see in the bulletin or you'll get emails and say, hey, we have an opportunity for you to serve. All of our members have a commitment to be able to be involved and to be able to serve in the church, recognizing again that God has gifted and encouraged them. Now, I believe you'll naturally deepen relationships with others when you are in a group. So I encourage those who are in a group invite others to join you. It is the absolute most effective way. And for those who are not in a group, if you'd be open to one, as I said, either joining or starting. But this is one of the things, again, that, well, will show us we're a healthy church. We're a group of believers who are growing in their up relationship, and as a result, want to grow in their in-relationship, building relationships with teams for accountability, for growth, for strength. Our out-relationships are also critical. And again, we looked at Jesus, and Jesus (laughs) taught us how to do out really well. 
Many of you know the reputation on the street for Jesus. Well, we find it in Luke chapter 7, verse 34. The Son of Man, well, he feasts and drinks, and you say he is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and other sinners. Now, Jesus wasn't a glutton and he was not a drunkard. But what was so unique is that he spent time with folks that were far from God. They were unredeemed. They were people not focused on a relationship with God. And when people would look at Jesus, where he went and where he spent his time, he would say, oh, he must be that. That's the kind of people he hangs out with. Again, I'm not so sure that's any of our reputations. Doesn't mean, again, that that's who you are, but, but I wonder how many of us actually hang consistently with people who are unredeemed. One of the scary things as I work with new believers or as I work with folks who are more and more excited about who God is, is that they want to grow in their relationship with God. They want to grow in their relationship with other believers. But what I find out is that oftentimes they begin to sever relationships with their neighbors or with those who they work with or those they play ball with or, and you can fill in the blanks. Now again... I don't want something to be so influential that, well, it causes you to run from God. But one of the most beautiful things in all the world is that God has called us to be salt and light. And that we have an opportunity to be able to tell our stories to those who are unredeemed, to those who are struggling, to those who are drowning, to those who need rescuing. And so I don't know how much time you spend with those who are redeemed and those who are unredeemed. But I think most of us need to change how we think about the lost or those who have not yet come to Christ. The Bible calls lost people, well, they're drowning. And they will die without a savior. They will spend eternity separated from God. God uses people to share good news of a savior and of their story of redemption. Maybe even if we could look at ourselves as sent people, that, that God literally in his sovereignty knows where we are to go, what we are to do. God orchestrates beautifully who we are to meet daily. If you don't believe that, you need to probably grow in your understanding of God's sovereignty. But I love how Paul writes in Colossians chapter 4, starting in verse 5. He, he says this, Live wisely among those who are not believers, those who are not redeemed. And make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. I believe that God is sovereign and God gives each one of us opportunities. And when you literally walk into Menards, I just like talking about Menards. When you walk into Menards and you go up to the cashier, you all look, hmm, this line, this line, this line, this line. You think you're just picking a line. I am telling you that God has a plan. And it's so cool. I don't know where you're going to go, what kind of conversation you're going to have. But whether it's Menards or Jewel or your next door neighbor, 
God has a plan for us. I love the story of the redeemed demoniac in Mark chapter 5. I think it illustrates so much of who we are and what God does for us and the assignment that God gives us. I I would encourage you, go home and read Mark chapter 5, starting at verse 1, and go all the way to 21. It is such an amazing story. A totally messed up human being living miserable. Jesus comes and this demoniac meets Jesus and he is delivered and he is given life and his life drastically changes and it's so unique. What happens is that this guy, this healed man wants to join Jesus and his disciples I would think that would be a great person to join. Hey, come on out. Man, this dude was filled with thousands of demons. I want you to meet him. No, that wasn't his plan. His plan was, hey, you you know what? I don't want you to come with us. I want you to go back home, and I want you to tell others how Jesus changed your life. So his whole assignment was, go back. Hey, by the way, I was demon-possessed. I was miserable. I was screaming. I was cutting my body. I was running around naked. I was scaring everybody. I met Jesus. He changed my life. What about the woman at the well? God, again, orchestrated in John chapter 4, a lady... (laughs) who is going through husbands like Dixie Cups. All right? Whoa! She was not satisfied. This was not a good thing. Jesus said, hey, I want to offer you life, everlasting water, something that will quench your thirst. And what does she do? She goes back to town. And and again, probably not the best reputation at this moment. I just want you to know, I met someone that changed my life. And not only did townspeople come to faith, but it just continued to move out. How cool is that? You see, we who are redeemed have a story. Maybe we forgot about it. You know what? Before Jesus, I was this. After I met Jesus, I have hope. I have strength. I have purpose. I still have challenges. I still have troubles. But I have a friend that walks with me. I can count. I can trust him. I do not have to worry. Oh, I personally am learning to live more like a sent person, to pursue spiritual conversations. I am praying more for unredeemed people in my life. And if you've been around in our church, we have tried to, again, give you a strategy, a a way to look at this a little differently. And we've called it the Bells Strategy. B-E-L-L-S. And we're not going to go into a lot of detail there, but it's an amazing strategy because what you do is live your life intentionally. B means bless somebody. And really, during the week, we encourage you to bless at least three people. That means grace them for no reason at all. And the encouraging part is this. Why don't you bless at least two unredeemed and one who is redeemed? E is eat. Encouraging you to eat three meals with other people. Other groups. And and by the way, you can start that today. There's hot dogs right underneath, you know. We have a hot dog Sunday. You can have fellowship with one another with these unbelievable, you know, bits of food. But again, purposely, can I have a meal with someone who is unredeemed and someone who is redeemed? 
Ellis to learn and to spend some time learning about Jesus and understanding who Jesus is. And the second L is to listen and intentionally be quiet and listen to God as he directs you. And the S is to share, sharing your story. So again, it isn't some checklist, but it's just a, a, a way. How do I grow in my out relationships? I bless people. I eat with people. I learned from Jesus how he did it. I listen to you, Jesus, so I know where to go, and I share my story of your grace in my life. It's living questionable lives that will surprise our world. People will look and say, oh, you respond differently. Oh, why do you think like this? Oh, why are you gracious to me? Why are you... Ah, this is exciting. Can you tell me more? You know, I think as we wrap up this, how we do our mission, I'd like to say this. The church is a big deal to God and actually should be for each one of us. Whether we're in the house right now hearing this message or we're online. The scriptures tell us that as we grow in these relationships, we surprise the world and the church grows. Wow. I guess I'd like you to ask this question. Is there one of these relationships that maybe you need to grow in? And maybe the answer is all three. But I would encourage you, number one, to start with your up because everything flows from there. You're not going to pay attention to those inside these walls or outside the walls if you're not learning from Jesus and growing and being dependent on God. You're not going to bear fruit. You won't. So we start there. But it's intentionality. If you're not intentional with that, you're not going to grow. If you're not intentional with reaching out to other folks inside these walls, it's not going to happen or to serve together. And if you're not intentional with meeting with those folks or establishing relationships with the unredeemed, it is not going to happen. You know, the exciting part is this, is that lives are still being transformed today and hope is still abundant today. Don't you love hearing stories of transformation? I love hanging out with people who are in the church or part of organizations when they tell me of folks who have come to Jesus and their lives are completely different. I had an opportunity to have a funeral yesterday and many of the folks in the audience, well, they hadn't met Jesus yet. But there was story after story after story of people who were able to say, you know what, my life has been messed up. But I met Jesus. And things are different. I had an opportunity to teach up at Nicolay Bible Institute. And, and as I talked to each one of these students, over half the students came to faith later. And they told me over and over, hey, Rick, this is how I lived before, and this is what God has done in my life. <laughs> yes! Some of our missionaries, and you're going to even meet some of them today, have opportunities. I love spending time with them because they tell me story after story of transformation that happens in their ministries. I look at organizations like chosen people or Pacific Garden Mission and you read stories of hey this is what happens God's done this I used to be this and now I'm that that's the church 
And as I said, in just a moment, we're going to hear a little bit, some stories from Kenya and even Asia. How cool it is that God's not only working here, but he is working all over. In fact, those who are members and those who will be attending our annual meeting, one of the focuses that we're going to be looking at in February are stories of transformation on what God is doing in and through people right here so that you hear what God is doing. I'm going to end a little bit differently today. Would you all stand, please? I would like to pray over all of you. Now, now do I know that you're members here? I, I know you're not all. And do I even know that all of you are redeemed? I, I don't. But I'm going to pray for you who are here. And I'm going to pray that we as a church begin to grow in these relationships and watch God do some amazing things in and through you. So let me pray. Father, we stand before you and we recognize, Lord, that we are pretty fragile. We're pretty frail. That we struggle with selfishness. We recognize, God, that we need you desperately. Lord, there are so many times that we have ulterior motives and so many times that, that we just, well, want to be comfortable. I ask you, even now, God, as we, well, looked at the mission you've given us as a church, as the people of God, And we ask, dear God, that even in this new year that we would make more of our up, in, and out relationships a priority. We we know you're sovereign. We know you've given us time. You've gifted us. And we pray, dear God, that we would hear your voice clearly, obey you boldly, We pray, dear Father, that you would unite us as a church, that we would love each other. And if someone were to walk into this place, they would know we are Christians by how we treat one another. Would you form teams and groups? And and would we, Father, encourage and hold each other accountable and strengthen one another? And lastly, Lord, would you open up our eyes to those who are drowning? You've changed us. You've redeemed us. You've given us life, abundant and eternal. Oh, Father, would we share the story of redemption freely and boldly? God, use this church. Use it in this neighborhood and use it all over our world. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.